you know what? No more excuses. I will willingly choose God's fame above my own. I will stop acting as the binding center of the world. I will look at my apathy straight in the face and demand that it leave. No more excuses. I will both admit my addictions and cry out to the healer. I will refuse to allow the enemy to continue stealing my joy. I will stop worrying about what everyone around me is thinking. No more excuses. I will turn my heart back again. I will listen hard to the whispers of his spirit, and I will proclaim the wonders of his never-ending love. No more excuses. No games. No pretending. No hiding. No dead religion. No more excuses. Period. Forbes magazine recently posted an article regarding the topic of excuses. It reads, does the name Maria Kang ring a bell to you? She's the very healthy and fit mom who recently posted a picture of herself in workout gear with her three boys sitting around her. Emblazoned at the top were the words, what's your excuse? The obvious message set around Maria as the picture clearly showed three miniature time and attention needing excuses that would easily explain why she wasn't in shape. But she was in shape. Many applauded Maria for crafting those abs while still managing to juggle motherhood and a career. Others turned it into a large mob online calling Maria a bully and accused her of fat shaming. I didn't even know that that was a thing. But Regardless of where you stand in this decision, it brings to light something very important. Excuses are common. So common, in fact, that Maria's image lit a fire under a lot of people. She hit a nerve. We hate to be reminded that our excuses are explaining away laziness, failure, giving up, and self-doubt. They are there when we need them and we reach for them far too often. Our excuses drives us to failure because they let us take the easy way out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I ask that you would help me speak your words that you want us to hear and to not mention one word that you don't want us to hear. God, we trust you. Be glorified. Prepare our hearts to receive your word, that we'd be doers and not just hearers of it. In Jesus' name, amen. No, I don't read Forbes magazine all the time. I just happen to be doing some research on excuses, and that's when I came across this article. But me personally, I can't stand giving excuses. I rarely like even listening to them. But personally, for me, I don't like giving excuses because I feel like I'm out of control. I lost control. That's why I couldn't do something. Um, and it's not that I have to be in charge all the time, but I don't like giving an excuse why I couldn't complete something. 
I think my eldest son, Isaiah, knows this all too well about me, and that's why on Wednesday night, as I was putting my head down on my pillow, setting my alarm clock on my phone, I realized he tagged me in a video on Facebook. I'm like, what did Isaiah tag me about? So laying there in the bed, I clicked over to Facebook, because, you know, curiosity kills the cat. And I started watching this video. Has anybody heard of the ice bucket challenge? The ice, ALS is doing this ice bucket challenge. Yeah, yeah, you liars. <laughs> Look at you back there shaking your... Well, Isaiah had, somebody had nominated him for the ice bucket challenge, and the first name, actually, when I started watching him, I'm like, please, Jesus, no, 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 no. And the first name out of his mouth was, I nominate Brenda, my mother. I'm like, oh, he knows that I, it's not that I like a challenge, but I hate those excuses of why you can't complete the challenge. And I think he knew this about me. So Kevin, if you would please show what I had to do then within 24 hours. Yes, yes, I love my motorcycle, so I thought if I've got to make a fool out of myself, I'll do it on my motorcycle, but I'm not, I'm not one, I don't care about my reputation, there's only one reputation I care about, and that's the Lord's, so I, may, I do tend to make a fool out of myself often, but ALS, that's the ice bucket challenge, then if that wasn't enough, because man, when I saw that video in Isaiah, I'm like, oh, I've got excuses why I can't do that. You know, 24 hours. But if that wasn't enough, Friday morning, I'm having coffee down at the shop, and I was actually down there to just rub it in Lauren's face that, hey, I nominated you. When are you going to do that? 24 hours is ticking away. Michael sat down to have coffee with us, and he reminded me, Brenda, remember a couple weeks ago when I asked you, would you donate blood if I could get 10 people to donate, would you donate blood and you agreed? That's today. 
I said, no, it's not, Mike. I have things to do. I can't donate. And besides, he knows. That's why he asked me. He knows I hate needles. I really do hate, unless there's ink attached to them, but I still hate that one, you know. But I hate needles, and he reminded me because I had told him a few days ago that I believe God's starting a new series in my heart about no more excuses. So we sat there for a couple of hours at the cafe while he reminded me of the message I was preaching, going to start preaching this Sunday. And how can you stand up there before your congregation and tell them excuses of why you couldn't do it? And Mike, I said, Mike, they don't have to know. I don't have, he goes, oh, Brent. And so Michael sat there preaching to me for a while until he finally convinced me of the, my own message. So if you would just click over, Kevin. Let me see if I can put this up here to show you what I had to do. Lord loving that he makes me know. Oh, yeah, can you click the big silver button? Thank you very much. There I am, sitting there, and there's Michael, the one that had to remind me and was preaching to me all day Friday, giving blood. Yeah, see, I proved it. I wasn't just, you know, doing a selfie there, and, but there I am. And then I wore that sticker proudly, I made a difference. My name is Brenda, and I have war wounds. I kept the tape on me all day, didn't I? Kept that tape wrapped around here and took pictures of even my war wounds to prove it. Thank you very much. Go ahead and flip back over there. Push that silver button. So trust me, I could have come up with at least a dozen excuses why I couldn't complete either one of those challenges, but I felt like it would be a slap in God's face. And so he had to challenge me on, number one, I don't like getting doused with water, especially on video, and I don't like giving blood. He could have picked out two, three other things that I would be more than happy to do, but it had to be the two to prove his point that excuses just help us find the easy way out. And they excuse away our failures. So over the next uh, few weeks in this series, we're going to be looking at six common excuses. They're destructive patterns and the best defense for erasing these excuses. And the six excuses we're going to talk about are, I can't forgive them. I can't tell them that. I can't commit to one more thing. I can't give more. I can't change now. And I can't ask God for that. Over this series, our main point will always be, and you can write this down so you don't forget, the best defense against excuses is an offensive line of whys. Did that spark your curiosity? It sounded like football, didn't it? I did that on purpose, just for you guys. The best defense against excuses is an offensive line of whys. 
Why? Why can't I choose to forget, forgive, even if they ask for it? Why am I more concerned about what others think than what God thinks? Why is that activity more important than this activity? Why do I feel my needs are more important than others' needs? Why haven't I changed? And why can't I trust God to ask for this? When we develop solid answers to these why questions, it will be the greatest defense to erasing our excuses. You have to know the answer to these why question, questions. So let's dive into this first excuse. Number one, today we're going to talk about I can't forgive them. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42. This is a famous story in the Old Testament that's been taught Sunday school class after Sunday school class. Who is it? What's his name? Joseph. And what does he like to wear? His coat of many colors, right? We all hate to admit it, but it happens in our families. There is always a favorite. Oh, but we don't want to say it out loud. And no, of course, we wouldn't verbalize that amongst the kids even. But there is someone that gets our attention, maybe I should say it that way, than the rest. As a matter of fact, Brian and I was just talking about this a few weeks ago, right? And what, what was it? We said Isaiah doesn't have a coat of many colors. He has a belly full of his mama's food. Whenever he, it's whatever. Mom will cook him anything whenever. But really, I do that for all the kids, especially at their birthday time, right? But Joseph is a, a famous story that's told and retold and retold. But what, why I want to pick up is just past that coat of many colors. And digging into Genesis chapter 42, we're going to pick up the story into the second year of this severe famine. Verse 1, when Jacob, Jacob being Joseph's dad, when Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? I've heard there is grain in Egypt. Now go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. So Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with him for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food, for the famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. Now, let me just summarize here. Of course, you know, if you've been in church for any length of time, like I said, this is a very common story. You've heard it before. 
But for those that may be listening that aren't familiar, or maybe let's just do a nice recap so it refreshes the whole story in our mind. In any normal case, this would be an easy transaction. I mean, you're going buying food from your brother during a famine. We're hungry. But in the life of Joseph, there were extenuating circumstances. Let's look at them. Joseph was, remember, the favored child among the 12, 10 of which hated him, were completely jealous of him, extremely jealous. Joseph began having dreams of his whole family bowing down before him, and he didn't keep his mouth shut. He went and told them all, I have dreams. You're going to bow before me. You're, to his jealous brothers, he said this. Joseph was then attacked by his older brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, and then falsely pronounced dead to his father. Then while in slavery, Joseph was falsely accused of raping his boss's wife, and he was thrown into prison. Then when he was in prison for however many years he was there, the, cup, the king's cupbearer and uh, bread maker or whatever they called him, they were in prison. Joseph talked to them. Then when he realized, hey, the cupbearer is going to be getting out of here because of a dream that Joseph interpreted for him, he said, please don't forget me. Speak to the king for me. I've been thrown in here falsely. Get me out of here. And the cupbearer forgot him. So when God finally moved Joseph from the prison to Pharaoh's right-hand man, I can only assume, if it were me, there might be some bad blood and unforgiveness between Joseph and his brothers. So what's your story? What has happened to you to cause your excuse not to forgive? Remember, our main point is the best defense against excuses is an offensive line of whys. So let's look at some of those whys to this excuse. Why should I forgive them if they haven't asked me for it? Why should I forgive them after the pain they caused me? Why should they get away with what they've done? We need to personally answer some of these why questions in order to erase our personal excuse for unforgiveness. So that's why I've given you a piece of paper. Make sure you have a pen or a pencil because I'm going to ask you to write down some very personal answers. Think about your situation right now and ask yourself, why am I choosing not to forgive them? And write it down. Considering your situation, what you're going through, the question is, why am I choosing not to forgive them? Write it down. The most common one would be because they hurt me. 
because they deserve to pay for what they did to me. Okay, so they hurt you. Well, if we're looking at the lives of some people in the Bible, Joseph particularly, hate that word, specifically Joseph, well, what about Jesus? What about Stephen in the Bible? Stephen was stoned to death for what? For what? What did he do? Did he do something wrong? No, he loved God. And he told the people that he was brought before, that God is the only way. What about Jesus? Do you think that they were hurt? Do you think Stephen got hurt? Do you think Jesus was hurt when he was nailed on the cross? Could our pain be any worse than what they went through? Yet think about just Stephen and Jesus for a minute. Both of them prayed while they were being hurt, tortured, murdered. Father, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. Don't hold this against them. So yes, You've been hurt. Yes, they hurt you. But you have to look at it in the light of, like I just gave you examples of Jesus and Stephen. Could your hurt compare to that? Does that give you an excuse to withhold forgiveness because they hurt you? When Jesus and Stephen both prayed, forgive them, don't hold this against them. Why am I choosing not to forgive them? Because they deserve to pay for what they did. Yes. Yes. Yes, they do. And yes, they will. But not by your hand. We know that they will have to give an account for every, We all will have to give an account for everything we do. That's why it should cause us to pray for them. In Romans 12, verse 17, it starts here with, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge and I will pay them back, says the Lord. Verse 20, instead, if your enemies are hungry, if your enemies are hungry. If those that hurt you are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Don't let evil conquer you. Now, we're talking about people that have hurt you. But the scriptures plainly says, don't let that evil conquer you. 
but conquer evil by doing good. Yes, evil is alive and well in this world. People can be cruel, mean, hurtful, vengeful, wicked. But don't let that evil conquer you. Don't let that evil have a foothold in your life. Joyce Myers, I was listening to her the other day, and she said, the devil needs a foothold in order to get a stronghold in your life. It's like that salesman, that door-to-door salesman I talked to you about. What did they first thing that they want to do? Put their foot in that door so that you can't close it all the way. And they'd stick their little lips right up to that crack and keep going. Just let me in there. Just let me in there. If you give the devil a foothold, he will have a stronghold in your life. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Another why question. Why are you waiting to forgive them? Think about it. Write it down. Why are you waiting to forgive them? Some reasons I came up with? Well, I'll forgive them when they come to me. That's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for them to come to me. Why are you waiting to forgive them? Because they need to apologize first. Then I'll forgive them. Where in the Bible do you even see a glimpse of that? Where does it say you can forgive as long as they come and ask you for your forgiveness? That you should forgive only when they come and apologize first. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, he concluded with this fact in Matthew 6. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will will not forgive your sins. Why are you waiting to forgive them? Don't we expect God to forgive us right away when we ask? When we mess up and we do it often? Don't we assume there's that forgiveness ready and available to us the minute we say it? Yet in this scripture we see if we can't even forgive those that hurt us, he can't forgive us. So what are you waiting for? Why are you waiting to forgive them? The last question, why is it so important to forgive? Why is it so important to forgive? Why? Well, besides the stipulation we just covered, (laughs) there is actual clinical testing proving the destructive effects of unforgiveness to our health. Yes, but doesn't God care that they hurt me? Yeah, but he cares more about how you're hurting yourself 
by living in that unforgiveness. You continue to harbor that unforgiveness, and you continue to hurt yourself. Someone once said, unforgiveness is the poison we drink, expecting others to die from it. Unforgiveness is the poison we drink and expect others to die from it. We're doing more damage to ourselves when we harbor unforgiveness. Forgiveness is much more for our benefit than it is even for that others. I came across a story about a woman who battled to forgive and the destructive effect it had on her. And instead of just reading you her story, I'll just try to summarize it. Her and her husband was in Mexico. His father was a big uh, businessman in Mexico, owned many newspapers. So this band decided, not band musicians, but a band of individuals thought that if they kidnapped him, he would have lots of money and they could um, hold him for hostage to get some of that money. Well, lo and behold, when they sent the first ransom note to his wife, because they grabbed both of them, dropped the wife off, and kept the husband. When they sent the first ransom note for $8 million, I think it was, they didn't have it. They didn't have anything close to that. So it was eight months of negotiating with these, she calls them terrorists, who were holding her husband in a box that was no bigger than he was wide, and he was only 180 pounds, I guess, at the time, no taller than he was tall, and they shone spotlights in that box 24-7, blaring music. And he lived in that box for eight months, and he, they would snap pictures and send them to his wife to show her how much he's being tortured until she pays the money. Well, when they were finally able to negotiate a fair amount that she could get, that she could give to him, um, two years later when she was being interviewed, she was still not uh, allowed to tell what that amount was. But she knew, as soon as she got her husband back, now he's 87 pounds, I guess, is what he came back to her. I mean, just a, a shell of what he was. She said it was only a couple months after that that her doctor pronounced um, that she had stage 4 breast cancer. And she said, I knew that the stress and the worry and the hatred for this group of individuals that had my husband was taking a toll on my immune system. So she said, when he told me my diagnosis, she said, I almost knew it was true before he even told me. She said, I realized what it, it had happened to me. But she started doing some research and found out that there was a place called Cancer Centers of America, I think it is, and they started implementing forgiveness therapy within their treatments. So she did a little bit more research. She went down there, and her doctor at the Cancer Center of America paired her up with Dr. Barry, he was called, who had wrote a book about this forgiveness therapy and started walking her through these sessions. And by walking her through these sessions, she was able to forgive, not just forget, because it's hard to forget, but to forgive and actually have 
empathy for these people that took her husband. And she said the minute she was able to do that, it was like a boulder, she said, of weight that I carried on my shoulders that just rolled away. But the damage was already done. She died two years later. Unforgiveness wreaks havoc on your health. Wanted to, here it is. Dr. Berry's research on ca cancer patients revealed about 61% had trouble forgiving. More than half had a severe problem with forgiving. This woman said that she had been consumed with revenge against her husband's kidnappers, and it did wreak havoc on her health. In medical literature, unforgiveness is classified as a disease, which is defined as some process that overwhelms the normal function of the body. Unforgiveness is classified in medical literature as a disease. I was doing some more research on this, these excuses um, and then in unforgiveness that we was talking about, and I came across a website by the Mayo Clinic, and it said the Mayo Clinic staff wrote an article regarding unforgiveness and the effects that it has on your health and even on your ability to receive treatment for your health. Unforgiveness has to be dealt with first. This is the Mayo Clinic saying this has to be dealt with first before the treatment can have a success. So now that some of your why questions are answered, the only thing left is how. Two simple things. There has to be a paradigm shift. You have to start looking at these issues differently. The first one is you have to see, you have to see and believe that God is in control of all your life's events, the good and the bad. Let's go back to Joseph's story and finish out what happened after his brothers came to him bowed down before him. Now he's facing the ones that hurt him the worst. Come on, remember the story. They beat him up, threw him in the pit, sold him into slavery. In slavery, remember, falsely accused of raping and thrown into prison, left there to die, basically. And now he's face to face with the ones that set his life down a, a pit. So here we are. We pick up in Genesis chapter 45. And he did have some interaction with them between when they first came to him and when this story that we're going to pick up right here in 45. But here it is. Here's the end of it. So Joseph could stand it no longer. 
There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Get out, all of you, so he could be alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and he wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him, and the word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. He said, verse 3, I am Joseph, he said to his brothers, is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them, so they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Verse 7. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me the here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Three times Joseph reminded his brothers, I think also reminding himself, As he's looking at his brothers, God sent me here, not you. God put me here, not you. It was God, not you. Joseph truly believed God was orchestrating all of his life's events, not just the good ones. Isn't it easy to say God's in control when things are going well? That's when we want to tell other people, look what God is doing. Do you want to exclaim, look what God is doing when you're going through those bad times? When you're in the pit? When you're sold into slavery? When you're thrown in the prison? When people keep forgetting about you? When you feel like you're all alone and God, why have you sent me out here? That's what we want to do. We don't want to say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Look at the glorious pit I'm in. But that's the first thing we need to do in order to release this excuse of harboring unforgiveness is to change the way we look at our bad things when people hurt us. That God is still in control. All the things, all the things, good things and the bad things. Because Joseph truly believed God was in charge, why wouldn't he be able to forgive his brothers? See, it comes a lot more, it comes more naturally to forgive when you know it wasn't you that did this. God did this. God sent me ahead. It wasn't you that hurt me. God somehow is trying to teach me something, and I'll learn from that. I forgive you. It's okay. I'm going to grow. I'm going to learn. It's all right. It's okay. It's easy to forgive. Eh, easier. I don't want to lie. I don't want to stand up here and lie. It's always hard to forgive. It's easier to forgive when you're looking at God being in control than an individual controlling that situation. Right? Number two, you have to take them out from under your thumb and place them in God's hand. Because that's what we like to do, don't we? Mm-hmm. Right there, you hurt me. 
you might as well stay there and enjoy this pain because I'm going to continue to hurt you because you hurt me. And they're not going to get away with it. I mean, here, here's all those whys, remember? You have to remove them out from underneath your thumb and place them in God's hands. When Jesus was brought before, who was it? Who was it? What was the king's name? Was it Pontius Pilate? And they're saying, you know, crucify him, crucify him. He's like, there's nothing wrong with him. I want to release him to you. But he said, well, what did he do? He washed his hands of it. There's nothing I can do. It's out of my hands. We have to wash our hands of things that people have done to us because it's not our control. We cannot benefit from holding people under our thumb. We can only benefit when we let them out and let them in God's hands, realize God's in control. He has all my good days and he has all my bad days already laid out for me. God's in control. In his book, Landmines in the Path of the Believer, Charles Stanley says this, We are to forgive so that we may enjoy God's goodness without feeling the weight of anger burning deep within our hearts. Forgiveness does not mean we recant the fact that what happened to us was wrong. Instead, we roll our burdens onto the Lord and allow him to carry them for us. God, we're giving them this situation, what happened to me, to you. Rolling our burdens onto the Lord, that's the secret of the Christian life and the secret of how to forgive. Trusting God and believing that he is in control of all of our life's events, then depending on him instead of ourselves to make things right. It sounds like a hard thing, but it's not a complicated thing. And it's the only way we can truly forgive. So my question to you today as we wrap up, do you really believe God is orchestrating every part of your life, the good ones and the bad ones? Do you truly believe God is in control even when people are hurting you, persecuting you, falsely accusing you, throwing you in the pit, throwing you in the prison? Do you truly believe God is still in control? If you do, you'll find it becoming easier and easier to forgive those who hurt you, who persecute you, who falsely accuse you, because it's not them that's in control. It's God that's in control. This morning I was listening to Andy Stanley's podcast. While I'm, you know, still contemplating, I seem to be, I like multitasking, so I like thinking about two or three things while I'm listening to some things, while I'm doing some things. And Andy Stanley was one of those things I was doing this morning as far as listening to his podcast. And in the end of his message, he, made, he was making the point of Paul's statement that he made um, when he was in prison that he found the secret of contentment 
that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? We say that all the time. We use that for everything we can think of. We use that. I can do all things. But his secret that he was pointing out was in persecution. While I'm locked up in prison, while it feels like the whole world is against me, how can I continue to do this? Because I know I can't. God can. And he can in me. And so Andy Stanley wrapped up his message with this uh, mantra that I can't, he can, he can through me. When we really stand on that, you notice that all of these excuses start with I can't. All six of them we're going to be looking at starts with I can't. You're right. I can't. You can't. He can. And he can through you. I can do all things through Christ or by his strength, some versions say, in me. So no, I can't. No, you can't forgive. It's, it's hard if we try to do this on our own, but he can. And he has the strength and the power to help you release that in your life. Today is communion, so I'm going to ask the guys, Guy, as Brian is passing communion out, I want us to take the time to reflect on the forgiveness, number one, the forgiveness that Jesus demonstrated toward his accusers. Remember when he said, Father, do, just forgive them. Don't hold this against them. But also the forgiveness that God lavishes on us every day when we ask. But I want to end with also asking you a few questions while you sit there. Ask God to forgive you for believing that he is not in control. Ask for forgiveness. God, I'm sorry. Ask God to help you understand what he's wanting to teach you through these tough times. Ask God to show you specifically what you will need to do to release this unforgiveness. Because what Alice might have to do is different than what Iris might have to do or what I might have to do. So you need to ask him specifically, God, what do I need to do to be released from this unforgiveness that I'm holding on to? Or maybe you've sat here through this entire message thinking that you're completely free from any unforgiveness. Brenda, I don't have a problem with that. Never have. I forgive everybody. Well, I want you to do this. I want you to ask God to reveal to you if you could be the cause of someone else's harboring unforgiveness. Ask God, God, have I caused someone else to be stuck in this unforgiveness? Is something I did or something I said causing somebody else to live in a life of unforgiveness? Remember in Matthew chapter 5, it says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice, if you're sitting here praying in church 
and you suddenly remember, if God suddenly reminds you that someone has something against you, he says, leave everything. Go and make it right with them. If you are causing somebody else to have unforgiveness, you need to go and make it right with them. So I want you to pray about those three things. First, ask God to forgive you if you're stuck in this unforgiveness and believing that he's not in control. We need help to understand what he's trying to teach us through this, but we also need him to specifically speak to us what do I need to do to be released from this unforgiveness or to go to someone else if I've caused somebody else to live in this unforgiveness. So let's just take a few minutes quietly. I want the room to just be quiet for a few minutes and let God speak those things to you. And if you've got that piece of paper and you need to write them down, then do it. Remember, when he starts speaking those names of individuals to you or those situations to you, remember the answers to those why questions because you'll immediately start defending why you can't forgive them or why you couldn't have caused them any unforgiveness. Speak to us, Lord. Speak names speak the situations to us speak specifically what we need to do to release this unforgiveness or to make it right with individuals who may be harboring unforgiveness God, right now, as a body, Lord, as we're holding these communion elements, these symbols of your body and your blood, God, we want to thank you right now. Jesus, that you offered your sinless body as a sacrifice for us. that you went before your accusers and allowed them, allowed them to nail you to a cross. And in the height and depth of your pain, you cried out, not for your own justification, not for your own justice to ring truth, but you cried out, Father, forgive them. 
God, I pray right now as we take this body, this symbol of your body together, Lord, that you would help us today. Let today mark a day that will change eternity, that we'll be able to cry out with every offense that comes our way, every hurt that comes our way, and even all those that are in our past that you're digging up and laying before us right now, we'll be able to cry out, Father, forgive them. I don't hold this against them any longer. I ask you, God, not to hold this against them any longer. I release them from out, from under my thumb, and God, I place them in your hand because I trust that you are in control of everything in my life. I thank you for the sacrifice you made and the example you made for us. And we'll take this body together. The scripture says that in the same way that he broke the body and passed it out, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink. Today we're making a commitment to God that no longer will I harbor that unforgiveness that will eat away at me and my health. But God, I'm making a new commitment, a new covenant with you. As you were able to, to uh, give forgiveness, Father, I ask by your blood, by your strength, by your power in us, that we're able to extend that same forgiveness. God, because we surely desire your forgiveness in our lives. So we desire forgiveness in our lives. We will extend forgiveness through our lives. And this is our covenant with you today, God. And we remember you, Jesus, the sacrifice you made, the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for this. And let's take it together. So final instructions, pray, 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 pray. When you're offended, when you're hurt, when people, things, life happens, pray. Get your paradigm shift. Set your right focus. God's in control. People aren't doing this. God's in control. More people have their hand in it, but God is in control. And pray for them. Pray for those who abuse you, who misuse you. Pray. Pray for them. The Bible even says that we need to bless them. Bless them. In the Greek, to bless means to speak well of. Boy, isn't that hard. When somebody hurts us, we want to run around and tell everybody how they hurt us. To bless them means to speak well of them. Don't, re don't retell the story over and over and over again because... I've heard it a million times. People say, oh, I don't, I've forgiven them. It's all over. But you continue to hear the same story of how they hurt them. And then at the end, they always tag, but I forgive them. 
Well, if you forgive them, then bless them. Speak well of them. Don't retell the story any longer. That's just keeping them under your thumb. And you need to let them loose from under your thumb and place them in God's hands. Proverbs 17, 9 says, Love prospers when fault is forgiven. Father, we thank you for this word. God, we thank you, Lord, that, man, your word is not only alive and active, but it's a double-edged sword that cuts through to our deepest secret places of our heart and cuts out like a surgeon's scalpel the junk that can eat away and poison our lives, our health, our future even. And you desire to cut that away from us for our benefit, for our benefit, and for your glory. God, help us, like your word said this morning, to not let evil conquer us, to not repay evil for evil, but to bless those. Pray for those and know that you are in control of everything, God. We love you. We thank you for your word. Continue to help us walk this word out because I can't, but you can, and you can, by your strength, do this through us. In Jesus' name, amen.